Good morning. Uh, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of groups. So today is Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of Holy Week. And I just want to kind of give you guys an encouragement uh, as, as, you, as this week starts to just be in the Word and, and look at what Jesus has done for us. There's a devotional uh, on desiringgod.com uh, that may be something... Uh, that may be useful for you. Uh, a couple pastor John Piper and a couple other pastors have put this together. This is something that's kind of a morning and evening devotional you can do throughout the Holy Week. Uh, and you can download this for free as a PDF or something you can use on your Kindle or on your iPad. So if you just go to desiringgod.com, there'll be a link somewhere in there for this. Uh, and if this isn't your thing, just be in the Word and be praying about this week. And I really want to encourage you guys to be inviting friends. This is a time of the year uh, where lots of people uh, come to church just because it's the thing to do on Easter. Uh, so they can come here and they can hear uh, about Jesus and about what he has done for them. Uh, yeah. And also Good Friday, we have a Good Friday gathering. Uh, I believe it's at 6, is that right? 6 o'clock uh, uh, this Friday to kind of uh, start that. All right. Eternal life is something humans have been seeking from the very beginning. Even in like ancient writings, mythology, we see that. To Monty Python in the quest for the Holy Grail. To Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. We're all, they're all seeking this eternal life. Even today, folks are seeking to lengthen their lives longer than this normal life expectancy. Some are just interested in... Just seeing, well, well, what's the future going to look like in 50 years from now? I want to I see that. Others just want a chance at maybe a different career, or maybe I just want one more degree, or maybe I want to get, like, I think I read something, this guy's like, oh, if I live this long, I could get, like, three PhDs. What are people doing to do this? Some people are ingesting ancient bacteria that they've found in Russian glaciers because it's been shown that, oh, this lengthens people's lives. They're looking at the immortal jellyfish and seeing if it's possible to study its genetics and get to a point to where we can kind of change our genetics and be able to live longer. Over 100 people have had their bodies frozen so that they can maybe be resurrected or resuscitated sometime when science one figures out how to do that and when whatever they died of can be cured. Sounds pretty crazy to me. There's like a thousand people who have signed up and are waiting for this. Uh, the, a a co-founder of... Uh, oh, no. Wait a minute. Sorry. I got lost there in my notes. Uh, there's actually a presidential candidate right now who is running, and one of his top, top priorities is to actually spend funding and technology, like put all the money into that to lengthen life in the hopes that we can live forever. It's hard to believe that there's like a candidate, another candidate that's crazy like this out there. One of the co-founders of PayPal had this to say, almost every human being who has ever lived is dead. Solving this problem is the most natural, humane, and important thing we could possibly do. Almost every human being who has ever lived is dead. I'll agree to that. I think all of you guys are alive in here. 
but there's one other human being that's still alive. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus told us we must do something. And it's safe to say, since he's Lord, it's probably the most important thing we could possibly do. And this brings us to our text today in Luke 10, 25 through 37. We're going to see that Jesus, what Jesus says we must do to inherit eternal life. Even though this text's main focus is eternal life, I hope as we walk through it, we'll be able to see the implications this parable has on our interaction with believers and non-believers that we're in community with. You'll probably recognize this as the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, even if you don't know the Bible, you've heard this story before. So if you guys uh, would turn there, I think it's on page 868 or 869, I'm not sure which one, uh, and stand with me as we read God's Word. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for your word, Lord, for your, your guidance. Uh, Lord, as we just walk through this passage that many of us are familiar with, Lord, I just pray that you will soften our hearts uh, to see what the meaning of this passage is, Lord, to see what you have done for us, uh, on the cross, Lord, as we just enter this holy week, Lord, let this be a beginning of just reflecting on what you've done for us and what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First, we need to realize that this isn't a lawyer in today's terms. This guy's not in the courtroom every day. This guy was an expert of the Old Testament law. He knew the commandments by heart, and no doubt he had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, memorized. So he asked this question here in verse 25 and 28. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This question isn't a bad question. It's actually a reoccurring question we see throughout the New Testament. The rich young ruler asked this question. 
In Acts, we see that Paul and Silas are in jail, and the jailer asks a very similar question after this earthquake happened. But the lawyer's question wasn't very sincere. He was looking to catch Jesus going against what the Jewish law said. Jesus didn't think it was a bad question either, so he did what he normally does when he gets a question. He followed it up with a question. And he says, well, you know, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He's saying, how do you interpret the scriptures since you're a lawyer? And the lawyer got it right, to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, that's correct. And then he says, go do this and you will live. Now, if you've been walking with us through Romans the past few months, you might be saying, wait a minute, I didn't think there was anything I had to do to believe. But just have faith, believe in him and his work for us. You're right, as we walk through this, I hope you'll see that Jesus is calling us to something that's impossible to do on our own. But we're all called to love God and love our neighbor. And as we work through this text today, I hope we'll see how that plays out. So, he answers the question, and he's got another question. Well, who is my lawyer? Who is my neighbor? He's wanting to prove his righteousness here and get out of helping some people. He knew he loved some of his neighbors, and in this question, he wants Jesus to verify that he's done what he's called to do. And Jesus sets out to turn this question back on the lawyer to show him the focus shouldn't be on who is your neighbor, but who uh, should be on being a neighbor. So Jesus goes into this story about this good, this uh, this guy who has fallen uh, to robbers along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was like a 200,000 foot descent over about 19 or 20 miles. So that's a really steep road. There's a lot of rocks. There's a lot of hiding places. So thieves and robbers always were hiding along this road. The road had a nickname. It was called the Way of Blood. Because of the rocks, one thing. The rocks were all kind of red and different colors in there, but also a lot of people were killed and murdered along this road. If you've ever been to the Badlands in South Dakota or in Utah and seen the landscape there, this is kind of what it looks like similarly. But this road to Jesus' listeners was very familiar to them. The story about someone being robbed was probably something that really had happened, maybe even to someone they knew. And Jesus uses this parable to get to their hearts, specifically the lawyer's heart. So in verse 30, we see that there's this half-naked, left-for-dead, bloody man laying on the side of the road. We're not told if he's a Jew, but it's possible he was and that he had been in Jerusalem worshiping and now was heading home. In the minds of the listeners, they're probably desiring justice and they're wanting the man to be rescued. Maybe the lawyer even thinks, hey, someone like me is going to show up. And this will be how Jesus justifies me in, the, in that question I ask him. Someone does show up. Someone just like him who knows the law, who knows the sacrifice system. Someone who should step in and provide him comfort. Someone all the li- listeners would recognize. A priest. What does Jesus say he does? He crosses over to the other side of the road and neglects him. He doesn't even get near him. Now, why did he do that? Some of the commentaries might say, 
oh, well, he was afraid the robbers were still there, so he didn't really want to get into that situation. Or touching a dead person or blood would make him unclean, so he's like, I'm going to not do that. Or he just didn't want to be slowed down. He was probably finished with his duties uh, at the temple in Jerusalem and was heading home. But if we look back and ask and see the question that was asked, who is my neighbor? There's probably a little uneasiness settling in the room. In their hearts, they're probably saying, wait a minute, Jesus, you're telling us that we should be unclean, that we should risk our lives for someone? Don't we do the same thing, though? Don't we neglect those who are hurting at times? Because we're afraid. Or we don't want to bear the burden of another person because that's just messy. Not just the unbelievers that we encounter, but at times our brothers and sisters in Christ. We think, that's just too much for me to deal with. Or, I don't have the skills to take that on. We forget about the unity that Jesse taught about last week. But you do. You do have the power to make intercession for that brother or sister. Maybe you can't physically help them. But if you're a believer, you're the son or daughter of the one who can the one who unified us. Like I mentioned earlier, this man was probably worshiping at the same temple this priest had been performing his duties at. Just like someone sitting in here next to you today. What if you hear something this week that happens to them? What are you going to do? Are you going to take a risk? Are you going to dive into the mess with them? Diedrich Bonhoeffer has a quote in his book, Life Together, that kind of addresses this. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So what do you do? Do you come alongside your brother or sister? Or do you pass by and expect someone else to come along? Well, maybe that's what the priest did. And we see that someone else did come along. The listeners were probably like relieved. They're like, whew, at least someone's showing up. The Levite, someone else that knew the law. Who works in the temple under the priest. Kind of the one that sets up, tears down things. They're the hands and feet. They're servants in the temple. So here's this guy walking up on the scene. So the listeners are like, all right, it's okay. The priest didn't. He had other things to do, but this guy's going to take care of it. But Jesus says the same thing. When he came to the man, at least he got a little closer and saw him, he then crossed over and passed by on the other side. The Levite was a worker. He had certain tasks to fulfill, And possibly in his mind, he's like, well, the fulfillment of all my duties has fulfilled the law. He probably loves some neighbors, you know, the ones that he liked, the ones that could probably, he could benefit off of. But he was a busy guy. Again, maybe he was just tired. Serving in the temple, from serving in the temple, and was just ready to get home. We're not told, because I don't think that's important here. He didn't have time for this guy. Again, like the priest, maybe he didn't want to be unclean. Uh, Maybe the robbers were still there. But mainly what Jesus is getting at here is the listeners were selective in who they loved. They didn't love their neighbors as themselves. 
We're busy too, or we say we are. I know I'm guilty of always saying life's busy. I said it this morning to someone that asked me, hey, how's things going? I said, well, it's pretty busy. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to say that in my sermon, and I just said it. So I'll challenge you guys. If I say that to you, you need to ask me what I'm doing and see what it is, because I'm probably not that busy. Yeah, it's a given. We're all busy. But are we too busy not to do what Jesus has called us to do? Should we pass by brothers and sisters who are in the pit of sin because what we have to do is more important? Does that unbelieving co-worker's eternity get put on the back burner because you're too busy? Is their eternity worth it? Yes, this will be inconvenient. It'll be highly uncomfortable. And you're probably going to get rejected by some people. But are they rejecting you? No. Let's look up at verse 16 here in chapter 10. What does Jesus say? He says, The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the Father, not you. Not only are we busy, but we're selective. We want to learn, love those neighbors who can offer us something. You know that neighbor with the pool? You're going to love them really, really good because you're going to get to go swimming in their pool. But what about that guy who always walks by your house and lets his dog poop in your yard and he never picks it up? We're just like the Levite. Now the listeners here in this story, in this parable Jesus is telling They've heard of two people, two people they respect, two people who know God's commands. They know what to do. They love God, or they say they do, but they pass this guy by. They're probably a little upset. Jesus, what are you saying about us? Why are you saying this? This isn't us. And then in verse 33, he gives them an answer. The Samaritan shows up. Through the half-breed race they all hated, who they see as the defilers of the temple, those unclean Samaritans. Imagine what they'd be thinking. Oh yeah, the priests and the Levites skipped out on this guy? The Samaritan's just going to finish him off. But we don't see that. Jesus says the Samaritan had compassion for this man. He was ready to love his neighbor. In verse 34, we see that he went to him. In the Greek, this word used for went can be translated seek association with. Think about that. He sought association with this unclean man no matter the risk. He didn't just throw money at the situation either. He got his hands dirty. He bound his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him to soothe his pain. He was ready to dive in and did. This was truly loving one's neighbor, even one's enemy, since this man who was attacked was probably a Jew, Jewish. Think about the shock that's come over this room or the courtyard where Jesus had been teaching. There's no doubt that anger's blowing up in the listener's ears, especially the lawyer. Jesus continues in verse 34 and 35. Not only did the Samaritan help him get to a resting place, but he stayed and took care of him all night. 
Could you imagine that? You pick up some guy on the street, you take him to a hotel, and you take care of this guy all night long. Then, the next morning, he goes to the innkeeper and he says, hey, I'm going to leave him here, whatever, he's, whatever, after the two denarii, which is enough to keep him in, the, in this inn for at least two or three weeks. He says, I'll, I'll pay you back when I return. This is beyond anything the lawyer had done or could do. Probably safe to say it's more than we could ever do or have done. Jesus is declaring in this parable that actually there's no way one can really love like this. No way we will really go to the depths of compassion that this story has shown. He's showing the lawyer, the listeners, and us that we cannot love like this. But you have to give it to Jesus for giving the guy plenty of opportunities to repent and fess up to the fact that he can't do it. So Jesus, to drive home the part, point and hopefully get this guy to see, see what he's trying to say, says, who proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? He didn't answer the lawyer's second question by saying, the, the guy who fell among the robbers, that's, that's your neighbor. No. He turned the question back to the heart of the lawyer. What did the lawyer do? He got it right again. The one who showed mercy. But he didn't have the heart to say the Samaritan. And then we get this command we saw in verse 28, again in verse 37. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. No more questions, no more conversation with the lawyer. It's over. The lawyer didn't ask Jesus, hey, this is impossible. How can I do this? We can either assume he just was going to try to do his best to live up to what Jesus' story just told him, or he's just going to keep living the way he already was. Either way, he wasn't going to look to Jesus for the answer to his first question. He was going to look to his own ability to answer his first question. No amount of right answers will prove will provide the answer the lawyer should have been seeking. Trying our best or answering correctly will never get us right in God's eyes. Now some of you might be thinking, well, Jesus just said go and be like the Samaritan. Yes, he did. And yes, he is calling us to love like this. To love our neighbors like this. To love our co-workers like this who actually may hate your guts. To love your brothers and your sisters in Christ like this, but not on your own. We must see that Jesus sought association with us while we were still in our sin. While we were still totally messed up. That he loved us with a love more lavish than this Samaritan. Jesus left his home in heaven, left his riches, left comfort to come and experience life as we know it, to be tempted and tried as each one of us are tempted, but to not fall into that temptation and thus living a perfect life, loving God, loving his neighbor, fulfilling the command, fulfilling the entire law, as the song we sang earlier said. But he gave up his perfection 
to take on my sins and your sins, of not living up to this law on himself, taking on the wrath we deserve and paying the price for our redemption. Not only did he die for us, though, he rose to give us the hope of eternal life. This free gift he offers you and me. He knows we could never live up to his law, but he loves us, his neighbors, more than we could ever imagine. So where are you today? Are you seeking eternal life through your own works, through your own ability to love like Christ? Are you resting in Christ, allowing the unsurpassable richness of his love to lead you to love like him? This is truly the answer to the lawyer's question. Eternal life is found in Jesus alone. Only through him can we walk into situations either with believers or unbelievers and bring this hope. If you're here today and you've been trying to live like this good Samaritan, no doubt you've failed. Maybe you're even beating yourself up because you have seen you can't do it. I pray that you can lay it all down, the failures, the hurt, the disappointment that you can't do it, and trust the one who can do it and who has done it. Going back to that quote from the PayPal co-founder, Jesus is the answer to the second part of that quote. Jesus came to solve the death problem when he entered this world. When he walked up that road to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, he was on his way to the solution. And he has solved the problem by defeating death once and for all on Calvary. So, the most important thing we can possibly do is rest in his finished work. As an old hymn says, But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. This is all we can do. Give our whole being to Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for sending your son to die for us, to rise again for us. Lord, to give us that hope of eternal life one day with you. And it's a hope that we can be sure of that one day you will come and you will redeem this world. But Lord, as we walk in this life now, Lord, continue to sanctify us. Lord, I pray for the ones who don't know you, Lord, that they can see that they can lay it all down at your feet. Lord, that your burden is light and that you have done everything, that you have fulfilled the commands that we uh, could never live up to. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.